Good morning, everyone, and once again, a very wonderful and happy new year to you all. Well, for our new year, I'd just like to consider for a while something of the wonders of our so great salvation. In Hebrews chapter 2, in the opening verses there, following on from chapter 1, where we have consequences which followed certain actions, uh, chapter 2 in Hebrews, we're not uh, going to cha- Hebrews this morning, but to the first epistle of Peter. But um, uh, in the opening verses of chapter 2, the writer there asks, if all of these things uh, did bring consequences, then for us in our day, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And so this morning, I'd just like to borrow that short phrase, so great salvation for our meditation and uh, as I said from the first chapter of Peter's first epistle how our so great salvation the little word so there to me it speaks of something which cannot be quantified John chapter 3 verse 16 God so loved the world He didn't dearly love the world. He didn't very greatly love the world. You could add superlatives to to this. But God so loved the world. And this here cannot be contained in anything that we could imagine. God so loved that he gave. And here in Hebrews we read of, uh, or we heard of, a so great salvation Words just are simply inadequate to describe the wonders of the salvation purchased for us on Calvary's cross. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. These provinces in what is now modern Turkey, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, uh, they are in modern day Turkey and far removed from uh, the land of Canaan uh, by, uh, by the standards then, not so far removed now, of course, in, in the days of aircraft travel and so forth, but uh, quite a way, and yet here, partway through the first century and just a few decades into the life of the church, there are these Christians throughout uh, these regions, and... Uh, we wonder sometimes how they got there, how Christians spread that far so soon already, uh, except that when we come to uh, the record of the day of Pentecost following uh, the Passover, following our Lord's death, uh, on this particular day, uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles uh, and in the form of uh, tongues of fire and they spoke, and people from distant places heard uh, of the wonderful things, well, we find where some of these people came from. Acts chapter 2, 
uh, just having a look at a couple of verses here. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Now, this is on the day of Pentecost when the church began, the Christian church began. Uh, ten days earlier, our Lord ascended into heaven and the, uh, the apostles were tarrying at Jerusalem, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He has come. And so uh, Peter then stood up to preach. Verse 6 of chapter 2 of Acts. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marvelled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. So, uh, and, and on it goes. So there are three of those regions already. There were people in Jerusalem at the time from there. And uh, of course, they would have stayed on uh, for a while. Some of them, uh, Jewish proselytes, might have been even living permanently there. But uh, certainly this is how the gospel, right from the very day one of the church, uh, heard the wonderful salvation that uh, has been purchased by our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. So in this particular chapter here, uh, from here on from verse 3, we will see, we'll have a wonderful panoramic view of the wonders of our so great salvation, past, present and future. And so this morning we'll look at the panorama of salvation, our so great salvation as brought forth by Peter, uh, writing to these pilgrims who were scattered. <clears throat> so to go first of all, um, well, I'll, I'll read uh, through it up to verse 12. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, <coughs> ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what? or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us 
they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So the wonders of our so great salvation, looking at it from an aspect of the past and of the present and of the future. Uh, Just read these verses again, bringing before us salvation from the past, from Old Testament times, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. This was the theme of the messages that the prophets in Old Testament times put forth, that that uh, there was a coming Messiah and he was going to bring deliverance, he was going to bring salvation and uh, the scriptures abound with prophetic utterances to this extent. So much so that when we come to the New Testament times, to the, to the Gospels, the time when our Lord Jesus walked on this earth, well he challenged the religious Jews of his day recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 5. And uh, he said, you people search the scriptures. It's read as an imperative in our authorised version. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But it's really an indicative. You search the scriptures. Why? Because in them you think you have eternal life. But those scriptures testify of me. Yet you will not come to me in order that you might have life. This essentially is what the Lord said to them. Searching the scriptures, and yet they refused to come to the Saviour. The scriptures that he was referring to was the Old Testament. Uh, Again, to two disciples, two bewildered disciples, Cleopas and another, in Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus. And uh, here... uh, We have them very bewildered. They don't know, they can't explain what has gone on. Things haven't worked out the way they thought they should. And so so they are walking along discussing this and uh, they don't know just where they are. And we read that Jesus drew near and walked with them and then got into a conversation with them. And when they told him of of the... um, things that had happened, presuming that he had no knowledge of it all. He said, O fool, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Ought not the Christ to have suffered? And so, so once again, they should have known, but things didn't work out as they expected or as they felt that they should. And so uh, this was uh, the... The word of the Lord, fools slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said concerning the coming Messiah. Now, you go back through the Old Testament, you find that the prophetic scriptures are there in abundance right from Genesis through, uh, from the Garden of Eden even, when uh, God said, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. There is the promise, the prophecy of the virgin birth of the Lord, the seed of the woman. Uh, you come to uh, Abraham. Abraham was called, his name was Abram then, uh, to call, uh, called away from his own country in Mesopotamia, one of these regions where uh, there were these visitors at, on the day of Pentecost, uh, people from Mesopotamia in, in the um, 
Euphrates, Tigris River region. Uh, they'd come from some 900 kilometres away, and yet they heard. And uh, so this is where Abraham was. He was called to go to a land that God was going to show him. And when he got there, God said, this is the land that I will give to you. And then he made a covenant with Abraham. I will bless you, make your name great. Uh, you will become a great nation. At this time, Abraham's getting on in years, uh, as is Sarah, his wife, seemingly past the age of childbearing, and he had no offspring at all. And here was a promise made like this, that he was going to be the father of a great nation. But furthermore, and all nations of the world will be blessed through you. And so all nations of the world today have the news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ ready to save. And then you come to other uh, prophets as, as we go along. Jacob saying that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, so the Messiah will be born of the tribe of Judah, uh, of the lineage of David, David the second king of Israel. And uh, Micah telling how he would be born in uh, Bethlehem, thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, small, insignificant, and yet out of thee shall come forth unto me the one and so he would be born in Bethlehem, but his goings forth have been from everlasting. So we have here his humanity and his deity, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, eternal, undiminished deity is to be found in him, and yet true sinless humanity. These two natures perfectly combined in this one individual Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so the prophets go on. Isaiah is particularly rich with prophecies concerning the Lord, how that he would be born of a virgin, chapter 7, verse 14. But then you come to his manner of life, and uh, in uh, the chapters, chapter 40, 41, 42, and on, and then to his death in chapter 53 and even the funeral arrangements that God has made overriding what sinful man had for him telling how he would be treated after his death how when his body was taken down from the cross in uh, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 uh, his grave was assigned with wicked men. This is how it reads in the New American Standard Bible. His grave was assigned with wicked, uh, with wicked men, but he will be with a rich man in his death. The Roman soldiers who, who had done the deed of crucifying him and then had the responsibility of taking the bodies off the crosses they would have dumped them very unceremoniously in the rubbish tip outside of town but God had other plans plans that he'd shared with his people through Isaiah some 700 years earlier yes his grave was assigned with wicked men he was going to be treated just the same as those other two criminals who were crucified with him but he was with a rich man in his death and a man that we've never heard of before Joseph of Arimathea steps forward. He's a wealthy man. He's got the cash. He's also got the clout. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. Is able to go to Pontius Pilate and ask for the body of the Lord Jesus. 
and so he was with a rich man in his death, buried uh, reverently and lovingly in a tomb which had never been occupied before. How good is the God we adore to have all of these things in places. And so as you go through the crucifixion accounts in the four Gospels, you read that this happened, that the scripture would be fulfilled. This happened, that that scripture would be fulfilled and so forth. So the scriptures abound. And yet when the prophets were faithfully declaring these prophecies to the people, we are told here they didn't really understand themselves. Uh, Daniel foretold that after a period of times, commencing with the foregoing of the, uh, foregoing of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah would be a period of time, and then the Messiah would come and Messiah would be cut off. That is, he would die a violent death. Now, the prophets really could not get their minds around this. A suffering saviour, one who would suffer for them, and they simply could not uh, take this in at all. And so here we read in verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, that is, Christians of the first century, Christians in the age of the church. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom, that, that is the prophets, it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things. So foretold by the prophets. This is the gospel as it was preached in the past, puzzled over by the prophets, and yet uh, all have come uh, delightfully uh, so, and have come about. So, uh, as Peter then said, it was uh, not for themselves, not for their own understanding, but for us. I'm reminded also of the uh, words to Daniel in chapter 12 of that prophecy, uh, Daniel said, I heard, but I understood not. And so then he asked the question and he was told, seal up the book, Daniel. This is for the time of the end. It wasn't for him. He faithfully recorded it, but it was not for his time at just then. I heard, but I understood not. But still he recorded it for us. And uh, there's, there are many prophecies concerning the Lord which are not yet fulfilled. Uh, some prophecies then came in two parts. Uh, a partial fulfilment when he was here, uh, for example, when he went to his own hometown in Nazareth and they went to the synagogue. Uh, he stood up to read. He read from the 61st chapter of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me. So he is the anointed one. The things which would characterize the Messiah when he came, which he fulfilled. And then he read to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Full stop. Sit down. And every eye was fixed on him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was claiming then and there to be the Messiah long prophesied in Old Testament times. But he made a comma into a full stop. You go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and you see that it goes on just a little bit further. 
to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did he not read those words? Because that is still future yet. But just as surely as that first part of the prophecy has come true, absolutely, so too that will come forward. There is a coming day of wrath and we read of this in Revelation when people sought death and fled from and they couldn't die, they wanted to die and they called for rocks and mountains to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath is come, the day of vengeance of our God. And uh, uh, another one uh, John made reference, uh, John the Apostle made reference to uh, that um, this scripture was fulfilled which said uh, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced that comes from Zechariah you go to Zechariah to read what John was quoting there they shall look for him whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for his only son they didn't mourn for him then did they but the day is coming when the nation Israel will realise that yes this one that they rejected of being absolutely of no account Jesus of Nazareth put put to death on the cross of Calvary is indeed the Messiah and then they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son well that is the gospel with the theme of the past which comes out in Old Testament scriptures but of course the people of Peter's day and the people of our day we live in the present time and so coming back to verse 6 and uh, uh, Peter here writes, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or testings or trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. These people then were going through extremely hard times they were being persecuted on every hand uh, firstly uh, the um, the early Christians were being persecuted by the religious Jews back in Jerusalem but uh, this is now some almost 30 years later if the church commenced uh, in AD 33 or thereabouts now we're around about AD 60 up to AD 63 I think Peter was martyred in the year 64, but Nero has just come to the throne and extreme persecution from Gentiles as well as religious Jews is on every hand and they suffered terribly physically. There are people in the world today, Christians in other countries under other regimes who are suffering persecution to that extent, even to the extent of having their lives taken from them. Here in Western countries, we know so very little about this physical persecution, but more and more now, Christians are being ridiculed. Uh, those values which are Christian values, which we hold dear and insist upon, they're being undermined, and uh, practices which to us are abhorrent, 
and once to ordinary people were equally abhorrent, now not only tolerated but even celebrated. And so uh, we can expect that we will be uh, ridiculed, we could be defamed, we could be punished by law because we, uh, we would stick to Christian values. And, and so what's Peter's uh, advice here? Rejoice. Rejoice. In spite of circumstances. We Christians, we are not defined by, by our circumstances. What we've achieved, whether academically or through our career path or, or materially, these don't define the Christian at all. We are not defined by who we are or where we live, but we really are defined by what he is, what he is to us, and how we live for him in this world. And so therefore things may not be as we would expect. We may not be happy, but we can rejoice. You see, there is a difference between being happy and rejoicing. Happy depends upon upon circumstances as they are. And circumstances as they are are not always what we would like. And so, well, I think a really good example is Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one who looked about him and he saw the, um, the sinfulness, the waywardness of his people and he said, Lord, are you watching? Do you see what's going on? And the Lord said to him, that's all right, Habakkuk. I've got it all in hand. I'm raising up the Chaldeans to come against them. And uh, the Chaldeans, surely not. They are worse than we are. And, uh, oh, that's all right. Well, their day is coming too. But when you get to the end, describing all of the circumstances around him, maybe he's speaking from his own position where things are not going the way he would like and where he might not be happy with the results. He said, though the fig tree may not blossom, no figs this season, and no fruit beyond the vines, and uh, the labour of the olive shall fail, and no harvest coming in, it's going to be a bleak year, it would seem. The flock have been... Uh, Distance from the fold, uh, no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And so that is how we must be as we go forth into the year 2023, to rejoice. For two reasons. One, all of these present difficulties that are coming our way are temporary. Read these verses again. <clears throat> Verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though ye be tried with fire, might be found unto grace and honour at the glory of the appearing. Uh, verse 8, uh, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. I think I missed out on verse Verse 6. Verse 6 is what I was looking for. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, for a limited period of time. It's, it's coming to an end. It, these uh, persecutions, and it might be a week that they last. It might be a year. It might be 50 years. It may not even happen in your own lifetime. 
But this is only temporary. Beyond this life is eternity. So you greatly rejoice that now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And secondly, not only is it temporary, but God has a purpose behind it, and that is to purify us. Just like gold being purified in the fire, it's, it's molten so that all the dross and rubbish is either burned away or floats to the top where it can be skimmed off, and so, so we come to uh, <clears throat> the, uh, this verse here that um, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. It is said that the eastern goldsmiths, when they were, when they were uh, uh, purifying the gold in this manner, they did so and they kept the heat applied until they could see their own reflection in it. And, uh, and so we read here, or we learn from this here, that we too, uh, God is allowing... Uh, these testings, these trials to come our way for the simple reason that uh, we, through them, become better Christians and more fully reflect the beauty of our Lord Jesus. So, um, so, so even though we would be going through trials of one sort or another, I know that uh, many of you are going through difficulties that I can't imagine, and yet... Uh, God is allowing the heat to be applied so that we can benefit uh, from it all. <coughs> and uh, so finally now we have the, um, the uh, future to look forward to. Coming back to verse 3. So you see these segments are in reverse order to what they're written here. We started with the past. That was in, the, that was in verses 10 to 12 verses 6 to 9 where we are and then uh, verses 3 to 5 uh, have to do with the future. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So our expectation is that one day we will be face to face with Christ our Saviour. What a day, glorious day that will be. Whereas the words of the um, uh, refrain of a hymn, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. And so uh, we, we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. I think Peter must have been paying attention listening to that Sermon on the Mount. We've already referred to the Sermon on the Mount in open worship this morning, uh, part of that sermon, but uh, this is the part where the Lord said, Lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break in and steal. 
No, this is an inheritance uh, which we have to look forward to, an inheritance incorruptible, not corrupted by moth and rust, that is, not corrupted by sins that are past, and uh, and undefiled, not corrupted by sins of the present time, and uh, fadeth not away, so it is eternal, and uh, it is reserved, paid for at tremendous cost, On Calvary's cross, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And how is this possible? Because we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our Lord Jesus is coming again. And when we took these elements this morning, the cup and the bread and the cup, we were proclaiming the Lord's death until he come. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Loving Father, we bow once again at the close of our service this morning, at this, the beginning of another year. And Lord, we don't know what this year holds in store for us, but we know who holds the future. And so we come with every confidence But now we ask that we continue to be used of yourself to make these wonders known to the folk around about us. We pray that this place here, Thornlands Bible Church, will ever be a beacon, as it were, set on a hill, proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so, Father, we ask your blessing upon each one. And throughout this day, throughout the coming week, throughout this whole coming year, we return our thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.